If you have your Bibles, turn to the 22nd chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. This coming Sunday here at Family Worship Center, we're going to be receiving, partaking of Holy Communion. And sometimes in, in Pentecostal churches, sometimes in Baptist churches and uh, charismatic churches or non-denominational churches, um, we overlook communion. A lot of times we do it, but it's just kind of an afterthought. It's a side thought. You go to the Catholic Church, and their whole service revolves around that. Uh, the Church of Christ uh, fellowships, they, they partake of Holy Communion every time they come together. That's just a major part of their, of their church service. But you come into the Baptist churches or the Pentecostal churches or the non-denominational churches, and sometimes we have put our emphasis on the other things, and communion is something that we know we're supposed to do, but it just doesn't really take front and center of uh, the way it needs to. So this coming Sunday, we're going to partake of Holy Communion as a church family. So I thought tonight and next, Sunday, uh, next Wednesday night I would teach on it and maybe help all of us to see how important it is, uh, Holy Communion. It's, not, it's just not something we do. It's not just a religious exercise. It has real meaning, real purpose, and it has real power behind it if you understand it. It also has some unfortunate results if you don't partake of it in a proper way, according to the Scripture. So um, let's talk about Holy Communion. Tonight, Look at Luke chapter 22, uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 14. I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. How many brought your Bibles or some form of a Bible and your phone or iPad or something? Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Verse 16, for I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus began his earthly ministry by receiving water baptism. We know his ministry started, and one of the first things it did when he started, he was baptized in water. Okay? Let me show it to you from Scripture. Turn over to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. That's in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at verse number 13. Matthew chapter 3. Verse number 13, look at that beautiful blonde, cascading, long, luxurious blonde hair, cascading gently over sloping shoulders. 
What a living doll. Matthew chapter 3 verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. That's John the Baptist. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, John said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. So Jesus began his earthly ministry with water baptism. Jesus ended his earthly ministry by, uh, with a new practice called Holy Communion. He began his earthly ministry with water baptism. He ended his earthly ministry introducing a new practice for the church called Holy Communion. Understand this. Holy Communion is a sacred event that demonstrates our ongoing fellowship and intimate connection with the body of Christ. With his physical body, his spiritual body, and the church body. It is a celebration. Holy Communion, it's a sacred event. That's why we don't need to throw it off to the side or just do it as an afterthought. It's a commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sacred event that demonstrates our ongoing fellowship and intimate connection with the body of Christ. It is a celebration of our relationship with Jesus and His family, the church. See, a lot of people think that communion is just the, the wine and the, the juice and the bread, and it's just between us and, and God. It is all of that, but it's also a celebration of our relationship, not only with Jesus, but with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Okay? While there is nothing in Scripture, there's nothing in Scripture that forbids believers from receiving the Lord's Supper in private devotion. I hear a lot of Christians talk about that. Well, I just took, I had devotion day and I partook of the Lord's Supper. I just, I had, I had some grape juice and I had a cracker and I partook of the Lord's Supper. I have, I know couples that, uh, that do that from time to time. There's nothing in Scripture that forbids that. I want you to understand that. If that's what you want to do, that's wonderful, great. There's nothing in Scripture that forbids it, but there's also no scriptural precedent for it. You can't find the, the early church doing that. They didn't, they didn't do it privately. Okay? So there's nothing in the Scripture that says you shouldn't, but there's no model of it ever being done before by the early church. Understand that the biblical purpose of Holy Communion is to commune with Christ and His assembled family. The word commune means to share intimately with another. It is the basis of where we get our word community. Therefore, Holy Communion is a sacred event that should be experienced with the full community of believers 
in a local church. Okay? It comes from the word, it's where we get our word community. And if you're not with a community, then really the, com- the commune part of it is really just between you and the Father, and it doesn't bring the full impact of what Holy Communion is all about. Yes, we are communing with the Father, but we're also to be communing with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now let me just give you just a little history on where communion come from. It, it all goes back to the Old Testament and the Passover lamb. We just read about the baptism of Jesus. John prophesied when he saw Jesus coming. John the Baptist prophesied and he said about Jesus that his death would be the living sacrifice for our sins. Turn over to John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. Turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1 verse number 29. John chapter 1, verse number 29. Notice what it says here. John chapter 1, verse 29. It says, The next day John, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God. Everybody say, Lamb of God. John called Jesus the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God was declaring through John the Baptist how Jesus came to deal with the problem of human sin as a lamb. God was declaring through John the Baptist how Jesus came to deal with the problem of human sin as a lamb. Now, there's only one Jewish feast in the whole Bible. Only one. There's several of the feasts that are mentioned in the Bible. Several feasts that the Jews and the nation of Israel celebrate every year. But there's only one Jewish feast mentioned in the Bible that involves the sacrifice of a lamb. And that is known as Passover. How many have ever heard the word Passover before? Every spring, every spring, the nation of Israel celebrates the feast of Passover. And it is an annual celebration that is a uh, celebration in memory of the last night that the nation of Israel spent as slaves in Egypt. You have to go all the way back to the Old Testament where God warned Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, that if he didn't let his people leave Egypt, the Jews or the nation of Israel, leave Egypt, and the reason he wanted them to leave Egypt was to worship him. To worship him. Not to get stuff. His first reason for them to leave was not to get a land, not to get stuff, not to even be free from their slavery. His first reason for his people to be able to be in freedom is so that they could worship Worship. So God warned Pharaoh that if he didn't let his people leave Egypt to worship him, terrible plagues would come upon the land of Egypt. Pharaoh resisted God's command, and plague after plague came upon the Egyptians. Anybody remember? Anybody remember what the plagues were? Anybody remember the, some of the, the early plagues? Anybody remember? Frogs. I like them frogs. 
Man, if I'd where I come from, if there'd be frog, man, we'd had a gig in time. I tell you what, nothing like frog gigging in Egypt. That's almost that's like shooting fish out of a barrel. Frog gigging in Egypt. What's some others? Turn the water to blood. That's never a good thing. Lice. Oh, lice, 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 lice. We have that here in some of our schools. Uh, lice, lice. Who? What else? Locusts. Locusts. Boils. Yeah, yeah. Any others? Flies. Oh, man, flies. Oh, that's never good. That's never good. Fiery hell. Or just any kind of hell. Oh, hell, King Jesus. All right. And then finally, the worst one, the one that flipped the switch, was the death of the firstborn. That was the final plague, and it was the most severe. Unless God... Now, listen to this. We, we, maybe we overlooked this over the years in our Bible studies. But unless Pharaoh, unless Pharaoh released God's firstborn, which was Israel... God called Israel his firstborn. So unless Pharaoh released God's firstborn son, Israel, God would send an angel to take the lives of all the firstborn of Egypt. You say, where is that, Pastor? Okay, turn back to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Exodus chapter 4, verse number 22. Love to hear the pages turn. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Then you will tell him, God said to Moses, this is what you tell Pharaoh. This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. God said that. Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you... Let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. People have over the years say, well, if God's so good, why did he allow all those children to be? Why did he kill all those children? It wasn't his choice. It was Pharaoh's choice. Pharaoh made the choice. To have all the children killed, not God. God said, we're not going to touch your children. We don't want to touch your children. You let my children go, and your children will be free. See, Pharaoh made the choice. God didn't make the choice. Pharaoh made the choice. And notice, so to prevent the angel from slaying the firstborn of the Israelites, so if every, when the angel of death come through, every firstborn... The Bible goes on and says every firstborn human and every firstborn animal would be destroyed. So to prevent the death of the Jewish children from being destroyed that evening, the Lord instructed Moses to tell the people to sacrifice a spotless lamb and spread its blood over the door lentil and over the door side post. As the Jews feasted in their homes that night, screams of death came through the city as the angel of death passed over the homes and those who had the blood of the lamb spread over their death, over their doorposts, the angel of death 
would pass over that home and not visit that home. That's why the feast is called the Passover. The angel would pass over their home wherever the blood was over the doorpost. Thus the lamb which was sacrificed, that had its blood spread over the doorpost, is referred to as the Passover lamb. Afterwards, God commanded the Jewish people to have an annual feast every year, and they still do it to this day, to have an annual feast every year to remember how they were delivered from the bondage of Egypt through the blood of his Passover. Jesus later went on to say in John chapter 8, verse 51, if you, if you obey my commandments, John chapter 8, verse 51, he says, if you obey my word or obey my commandments, you will never see death. You go over to the New Testament, he says, he says if, you, if you obey my commandments, obey my word, you'll never see death. What do you mean you'll never see death? He's talking about this angel of death. Over the years, I've been in the rooms of many people who've died. And if you've, if you've been around people who are dying, you can tell when death has entered. You sense death. It's a spirit. The Bible calls it an angel. It's an angel of death. Spirit of death. But for the child of God, if you know Jesus Christ... Before the angel of death comes and gets you, the angels of God takes you away. That's what he's talking about. He didn't say your body wouldn't die. Every one of us know that unless uh, Jesus returns, our body's going to give out. It's going to die one day. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. But yet Jesus said, if you believe my words, you'll never see death. So what does he mean? He means you'll never see the angel death. That's why the Apostle Paul says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is your victory? It seems like that when somebody dies, we think, man, death is one and the grave is one. No, Paul says, O grave, where is thy sting? O death, where is thy victory? Why? Because you don't see it as a child of God. The angels of God come get you and take you to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, everybody with me? And, and so we see the angel of death coming through the city, coming through Egypt on that night. And it destroyed all the firstborn of all the cattle. And it destroyed all the firstborn of every human being. Unless the blood of the Passover lamb, the lamb, was sprinkled on your doorpost. And then the angel would pass over your house and not enter your house. Exodus chapter 12 verse 2. Exodus chapter 12. Turn over to Exodus chapter 12, verse 2. Notice what it says. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, never been a problem at my house, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. 
Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. Verse 5. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Verse 6. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. Then the whole assembly... Notice this. The whole assembly, the whole assembly, the whole church, the whole crowd, the whole nation, the whole community, the whole neighborhood, the whole synagogue, the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. That same night they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad, greens, and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. Verse 11. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Then notice what he says, verse 11. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. And carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. Now why did he tell them to be fully dressed, to wear the sandals and have the walking stick in your hand when you're eating this meal? You know why he told them that? Because he said, this is the plague that's going to flip the switch with Pharaoh, and he's going to kick you out, and you've got to be ready to go. So he says, eat with faith that your deliverance is coming. Verse 12, on that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign, <coughs> marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14, this is a day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. That's the reason the nation of Israel to this very day, thousands of years later, continued to celebrate the Feast of Passover. It was that very feast that Jesus was celebrating on the night of the Last Supper. Okay, that was the feast, the feast of the Passover. And Jesus became the Passover lamb, and his blood became the Passover blood that once and for all covered all of us so that all of our sins can be forgiven. On the night before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he sat down with his disciples to share this Jewish feast known as the Passover. And we just read it. Let's read it again. Luke chapter 22. 
Go over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse number 14, says it like this. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17. Then he took a cup of wine. Gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. Notice, notice Jesus, when he partook of the Passover, he did it in community. Share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Verse 19. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. In other words, Jesus declared to the disciples that a new era had arrived, a new era, a new covenant between God and man was about to take place. Jesus was declaring himself as the final Passover lamb who would be sacrificed. His body and blood would fulfill the prophecy of John the Baptist when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. So that's the history behind Holy Communion. Now, you need three elements to partake properly of Holy Communion. You've got to have three elements. And this Sunday morning, when we partake of Holy Communion, we'll have three elements. Number one, you've got to have the bread. You've got to have the bread. Following the Lord's example during the Feast of Passover, the communion bread, remember he took bread and he broke it and he passed it out, The communion bread is to be consecrated by prayer and broken in pieces. I like the way we used to do it years ago, where they had one loaf of bread and one cup of juice, and everybody grabbed them a piece of bread, and if you were sharp, you had some butter in your pocket and slapped that on there, and then you you drank out of the same cup. Everybody now is so so crazy about germs that we have to go the individual stuff. Everybody now is so crazy about what's that what's that that on the way what's it called? What was I asked one time about the wafer? You remember? What does bread oh my, my. gluten. Gluten. <laughs> Somebody came up to me and said, I can't take partake of communion with y'all. I said, why not? You Christian? Yeah. You know Jesus is Lord and Savior? Yeah. I said, well, why don't you partake? Well, you don't have gluten-free wafers. <laughs> I said, Dad gum, it's the body of the Lord Jesus. Haven't you got enough faith? There you go. I mean, a little wafer. No, haven't you got enough faith? No, you name saved. Go on back to where you come from. If you, if you ain't got enough faith to take a... Uh, a, a wafer with gluten in it to keep you whole, and it's the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't even need to be taking communion. Bless your darling heart and stupid head. All right. 
The breaking of bread. I like the way we used to we used to break the bread. Anybody in the church used to break the bread? Remember when my, my little church, they had big old crackers. And you'd break a piece of the cracker. The breaking of bread shows that Jesus' body was broken in death on the cross. It also demonstrates that the local church being one loaf but has many members. One loaf, but has many members. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Go over to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. Notice what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. And though we are many, Paul's talking here to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. He says, and though we are many, we will all eat from one loaf of bread showing that we are one body. The Passion Translation says it this way, For although we're many, we become one loaf of bread and one body as we feast together on one loaf. So communion is not just about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the body of Christ, the church. That's why we do it as a community. So the first thing you got to have is you got to have the bread. The second thing you got to have is the cup. The fruit of the grape is lifted up and it's consecrated in prayer and then distributed to each believer. The cup represents the blood of Jesus. The cup represents the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin and gives us eternal life. The cup represents the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin and gives us eternal life. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 16. Notice what it says in the New Living Translation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? Notice he says, when we bless the cup, the cup represents the blood of Christ. When we bless the cup, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? So to properly partake and receive of Holy Communion, you've got to have the bread, which represents the body. The bread has to be broken, which represents the breaking of the Lord's body. We have to have the cup. With the juice, the juice represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you've got to have the gathered church. You've got to have the gathered church. After Jesus shared the Last Supper with the disciples, the only instructions given in the Bible for Holy Communion after that moment in Luke is found in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Communion is a special event that is to occur when you come together as members of the church in one place. I can't stress this enough. We live in a nation of individuality. We live in a nation of individuality. I've had people say, I've asked them, I said, you've been baptized? Yeah, I got baptized. I said, well, when were you baptized? Well, I just went out in my swimming pool and baptized myself. I said, you don't understand. It's about the body of Christ. It's about, it's about community. It's about community. 
In fact, you can't really grab a hold of the, the New Testament unless you understand it in the context of the local church. Do you remember Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Thessalonians, Timothy was a pastor. All of these books that we teach from every single week, they're written to local churches. They're written to a community of believers. They're not written to a believer out here doing his own thing. Okay? So unless you understand the Scripture and the body of Christ within community, you really are missing the whole point and the context of which the Scriptures are written and what Jesus wanted to do. That's why he says, For this call, Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven is nerfed his name, that he would grant me according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in my inner man, that Christ may dwell in my heart by faith, and that I'll be able to comprehend with all saints. What is the breadth, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. To try to live this Christian life by myself without the effects and ministry and and love and adoration of my brothers and sisters is not the way that Christ intended for this walk with Christ to be lived. It's supposed to be lived in community. Even communion is all about community. In the New Testament, after Jesus had the Last Supper, the next thing we read about communion, the only other time we read about communion, is in a local church setting for the church at Corinth. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 18. First I hear, Paul says, first I hear that there are divisions among you, when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. But of course there must be divisions among you so that you will have God's approval will be recognized. Verse 20, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. Verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received of the Lord, from the Lord himself. I think the King James says, For I have received of the Lord, therefore I deliver unto you. Now think about that. Do you remember when Jesus, the night he partook of the Last Supper, When he was in Jerusalem, right before he was crucified. Do you remember Paul wasn't even there? He wasn't on the scene. He wasn't even saved. He wasn't probably in Jerusalem. He was a kid then. Just a child. He wasn't a part of that. But notice, he knew what happened. He knew what happened. You say, how did he know what happened? They tell him. No, what did he say? For I pass on to you what I received of the Lord himself. The Lord showed Paul what happened. Communion is so important to the Lord that the only instruction we receive of how to do it as a local church, it came supernaturally 
from God to Paul of how Jesus did it when he did it. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Remember, Paul wasn't there. He didn't see this. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Didn't we just read that? We just read that. Luke chapter 22. Paul wasn't there. How did he know that? The Lord told him what happened. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and His people, and an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes. Verse 27, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning. Remember what I said, there's some unfortunate consequences if you don't do it properly. Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Some have even died. The gathered church represents many believers as parts of one unified body of Christ. In communion, we are declaring our union with Christ and with one another. Now let me, before we, I got five minutes, so let me share with you some benefit or purposes. Let me share with you a purpose of partaking of Holy Communion. All right, I know the history, Pastor. You shared the history. I know about the, 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 the bread. I know about the wine or the juice. I know about the coming together as a community. You've shared all that. Now, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? We do that. It's just a, it's just a ritual. It's just an exercise we do. Does it have any spiritual impact whatsoever? Is it just something we're doing to honor a memory of something? Or does it really make a difference in my walk today with Christ? Is it just a historical special event? Or does it really have a living reality of spiritual impact in my life today? Partaking, one of the reasons we do it is that we are partaking in the benefits of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. There are benefits today in the body and the blood of Jesus. The body and blood of Jesus have a physical and they have a spiritual reality. The physical body of Jesus was broken on the cross. How many remember that? The physical body of Jesus was broken on the cross. It was raised from the dead. The physical body of Jesus was raised from the dead. And it ascended into heaven. How many remember that in the scripture? The glorified body of Jesus exists today at the right hand of God the Father. People get to thinking, well, you know, Jesus is in heaven. He's in some spirit up there. He's a cloud up there. No, he is up there in a glorified body sitting right at the throne of God, at the right hand of God the Father. 
His glorified body resembles his physical body other than they can just operate in a spiritual realm. Remember, he came back to earth in his glorified body and he asked his disciples, handle my hands, put your Put your hand in my side. Notice my scars. You know what? People ask all the time, well, will we be able to recognize one another when you get to heaven? Of course you will. The disciples recognized Jesus when he came back in his glorified body. So unfortunately, you will recognize me. I'll be a lot taller. But you will recognize me. You say, how do you know that? Because that's what I asked for. You better go on and put your order in now, Wayne. Wayne, you, you, Wayne have a lot of hair in heaven. I promise he's going to have a head full of hair in heaven. Okay? But you'll recognize something about, you'll recognize. You say, well, what's the difference in the physical body and the glorified body? Well, you, you'll still be able to recognize features of one another because they recognize Jesus. But you'll be able, you'll not be bound by material things or by time. Remember, Jesus walked right through a wall. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty. I'd love to walk in on some of y'all at y'all's restaurant after a Sunday morning where you're eating fried pastor. And I'd love to, I'd love to walk into the, to the restaurant where you didn't see me and hear what you're saying about me. That would be pretty cool. The physical body of Jesus was broken on the cross, raised from the dead, and ascended into heaven. The glorified body of Jesus, not a spirit, not a cloud, a body of Jesus today exists at the right hand of God. Jesus is seated in his glorified body next to the Father that purchased our redemption. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, let me prove it to you from Scripture. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Jesus also presented his blood. I don't have time to get into the scripture, but he presented his blood to the heavenly Father. So the body and the blood of Jesus Christ still exists today. It still exists today. Now listen, when we consecrate in communion, when we consecrate the bread and the cup in holy communion, we identify them as earthly symbols of the actual body and blood of Jesus which is in heaven. And as we eat and drink together, communion, we commune, we intimately connect by faith with the real body and the blood of Jesus and all of its benefits. Okay? The Catholic Church does, they call it transubstantiation, where they believe the bread becomes the body and the juice becomes the blood. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. We, when we commune, we connect by faith with the real body and blood of Jesus that's in heaven and all its benefits. Verse 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Hang with me. Two more paragraphs. I don't want then we're going to go. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, the wafer, 
aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? See, we are communing by faith with the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you get to receive the benefits of it. Now I'll close with this one. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. If you're going to take a picture of them, I'm going to put it up on the screen. Take a picture of this. Write this down. The bread and the cup are like earthly extension cords that the church collectively places a hand upon and uses to plug into the power that flows from the presence of Christ's body and blood in heaven. Do you hear me? The bread and the cup, when we partake of Holy Communion, that bread and that cup is like an earthly extension cord that the church collectively places a hand upon and uses to plug in to the power that flows from the presence of Christ's body and blood in heaven. I've seen people grabbed hold by faith of the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and while taking communion be healed by the power of God. I've seen people with bipolar disorders in taking communion be totally set free by the power of God. I've seen people's lives change by taking of holy communion because they, it's an extension cord. They, they hook up by faith to the benefits of what the body did. It took our sin. It took the punishment of our sin and what the blood did. We overcome Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And when we partake of Holy Communion, we hook up by faith that everything that the body of Jesus did and the blood of Jesus did. Oh, my friends, it's more than just a side thought. It's more than an afterthought. It's more than just a religious tradition. It's more than just a lifeless ritual. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ coming together and communing with the very blood and body of Jesus which was sacrificed for us and it's as alive today and carries the power of all of heaven behind it. So we, we, this Sunday when we partake of communion, it's more than just something we're going to do because we're trying to fill time. We want Jesus to show up. Stand up with me, would you?